Oh, there we go. Okay. Hello. Okay. So as we continue our series on under construction, um, tonight we're going to be talking about what it means to tame our tongue. Um, I feel like that's a phrase that we hear often, but we don't necessarily know what that means. Um, So we're going to get to learn and kind of a little bit of of what I felt like it meant to me is um, surrendering our words to the Lord and glorifying him with how we speak. And so we'll, we'll be reading from James 3, um, and we'll get to hear what he has to teach us even more. Um, but before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, um, thank you for this opportunity to gather, um, to um, reflect on what your word says, God, to learn, to grow and be encouraged by the people in this room. Um, Father, I just pray that as we dive into this um, passage that you would just speak to our hearts, God, and illuminate anything that you um, have for us, whether that's something that we could work on, something that um, we could use to encourage someone else. Um, Father, just ask that you are in this space and in my words and in our words, and I pray all this in your name. Amen. So just a little bit of context before we jump into the passage. Um, The book of James is essentially a collection of wisdom. It was written as a letter um, originally to Israel, but really to all believers in Christ. James knew that that we'd be reading it today, or at least in the future. Um, And he really challenges us to live transformed lives by conforming to the likeness of Christ in a lot of different areas. Um, But yeah, his goal is simply to teach what what does it mean to have wholehearted devotion to Jesus. And so The area that he talks about in James 3, as I said, is our tongue. Specifically that a characteristic of a mature believer is that we have power over our tongue. And James will use the word perfect um, a few times in his letters, or in his letter, um, and in this passage. Um, But what he means by perfect is not that we're sinless, um, but that we are mature and complete. Um, And James was really writing to people that were struggling, um, there were churches that were having problems in their personal lives, um, in community with each other. Um, they were just like us. You know, we struggle with um, yeah, things in our personal life and in our church fellowship, um, whether that's arguing or gossip or struggling to always tell the truth and a lot of other things. And so in this chapter we're looking at, we'll see how he teaches about the dangers, the powers that our tongue has, and how it can be tamed. So that, that's, again, James 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and, it, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So as I was preparing this talk, um, I came across this really important connection to our tongues and taming them. Um, and it's something that David in the Psalms really had um, figured out as he prayed to God and, and worked through his own struggle with um, his words and his tongue. Um, and the Spirit helped him to learn that, that our hearts are actually the key to controlling our tongue. And he prayed in Psalm 141, verses 3 through 4, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil. Even into the Gospels, Matthew writes in um, chapter 12, verse 34, that out of the outflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And these believers were seeing and experiencing that the changing of our hearts will lead to the transformation in our words. And I enjoyed, as I was preparing this, um, this commentary writer that I was using called Worsby, he put it that when Jesus is the Lord of our life, then he's also the Lord of our lips. And so the big idea or the big framing that I have for us um, as we dive more into this passage is that taming our tongues um, will have transformed hearts that lead to transformed words. How we speak will tell the real truth about our hearts, our character, and ultimately our faith in God. And if we want to live what we profess in Christ, then we have to learn how to control our tongues. So in light of this connection to, for our um, heart um, influencing our words, we're going to frame what this passage is to say in light of our heart. And so um, as I was talking to Rich um, with my talk, he kind of helped me come up with this phrase that the words of our heart have the power to blank. And we'll find in this passage that there's three things that the words of our heart have the power to do, and it's direct, destroy, and delight. And so we'll go through each of these, starting with direct. So this idea that the words of our heart have the power to direct comes from verses 1 through 4 of this passage. And the kind of general overview of what they're teaching us is that not only does, the power, does our tongue have the power to direct others and ourselves, it's powerly, powerfully interconnected with our bodies. And I think it's no mistake that James um, connects our tongues with our entire bodies. Our bodies act out what we speak, what we might think with our words internally, might not even say out loud. Um, and many of our visible sins and actions start with a word. Um, our body seeks to defend itself as well from words spoken to us by others or ourselves. Things like anxiety, anger, self-defense, fighting, eating disorders, blaming, and so much more are all ways that our bodies and our words are intertwined. And I love how James says in verse 2 that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Perfect again, not meaning sinless, but mature and complete. He goes on to say in verse 3, if we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And so what James is trying to give us is two practical examples of the power to direct and how it affects our entire body. He says, verses 3 through 4, that our tongues are similar to the bit for a horse, which is something that a rider uses to control the horse, and the rudder of a ship, which controls how a ship moves. Um, both of these things, when we think about our tongues, are used to direct us and, and others. Um, and when we ride a horse, it's, it's to get somewhere, right? It's to direct us. Um, and the same thing for a ship. And both are really awesome comparisons to how our tongues, though a small part of our bodies, 
um, really do have a big impact in directing us. Um, yeah, and all the while um, when we have these, um, this force and power of direction, um, there's also gonna be outside forces pushing against us that we have to be mindful of, similar to a boat or a horse. Um, if a horse um, were to run away, then we have no direction, or if a boat were to tip over, we also have no direction. And we live in a world that wants to steer us off course, that wants us to flip over. There's gonna be peer pressure to say and do things that we know we're not called to do by God. Um, there's other truths that the world is, is trying to give us. I hear this speak your truth um, mindset that, that goes around in culture, um, and that if we do that, it'll give us happiness, it'll give us freedom. But what God teaches instead is that speaking his truth is more important and listening more than speaking is really what will give us true fulfillment. It says in James 1, chapter 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And it goes on to say in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. In essence, saying how we speak tells the nature of our hearts, our character, and the sincerity of our faith. But the good news in the power to direct is that it can be for good. Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in James 4 and completely changed her life. Paul changed his words from cursing God to praising God, and this resulted in thousands of transformed lives for Christ. But it all happens when Jesus is the one in control of our tongue. He's the one that gives us the strength to resist those pressures, to not give in to temptation, to be slow to speak, and ultimately gives us wisdom. And so um, in the next section of the passage, we'll see how the words of our heart have the power to destroy. Um, and that's in verses five through eight. Um, the first two verses of that, five through six, compare our words to a fire that can set ablaze an entire forest. It says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And so what we see in, in thinking about this in our life is, I mean, a fire, all it needs is a, a spark to ignite. You know, a tossed cigarette out the window can cause an entire um, farm or forest to burn down. And so this is a similar analogy to our words that one, even one word can ignite something that we never intended if we're not careful. And so James is warning us that um, a result of the untamed tongue can be destruction. Ultimately, fire um, is a symbol of destruction. And we can be inflamed in our, in our words um, if we're not careful and, and change a lot of things quickly. I think about you know, for, for instance, there was a time I was um, riding the bus and, and I was talking about somebody else and I had no idea, but she was sitting right behind me. And we got off the bus and, and she just talked to me how much it hurt her to hear me saying those words and I had no idea. And truthfully, we weren't close friends after that. And I remembered like the, the sadness that I had over that because I had not intended that at all, but, but I wasn't being careful with my words and, and I was talking to her uh, talking about her behind her back, um, saying yes and in a situation of peer pressure can be a, a similar thing. Or even when we try to one-up someone, take away their joy by trying to one-up somebody by comparison. Um, and so ultimately we, we can see from these examples and others that I'm sure we're all thinking of um, for our own lives that our words can tear down and defile and accuse and, and really inflict consequences on ourselves and on others that, that we never wanted. 
And so the second part of um, this, this power to destroy that this um, passage talks about is verse 8 tells how the tongue is similar to poison, um, that it calls it a restless, evil, and deadly and I think it's interesting to think about poison. It's very deceptive. You don't always see it at work until its effects have really like sunken in. Um, and we can also do this with our words. We can interject a type of poison in the conversations that we have. We can do this if um, we put a passive aggressive comment out there for a whole group and we, we hope inside our minds that maybe it'll get to the person that we wanted to hear it. And, and really ultimately sometimes we want people to be hurt by it. We do this when we gossip and when we talk about things that tear other people down instead of build them up. And another reality within this is that we're really good at justifying our words and justifying why our poisonous words are okay. We can easily make excuses and say, well, somebody had to tell them or I just needed to get it off my chest. But really there is no excuse and and it leads to destruction. And the only way really to surrender and recognize that there is no excuse is through Jesus. It says in verse 8 also that though the tongue cannot be tamed by man, it can be tamed by God. The only thing that can wash away the destruction and poisoning of our words is the blood of Jesus. He is the only example, really, of someone who had so many heated words thrown at him and yet never threw them back at anybody. Even on the cross, he says in Luke 23, 34, forgive them for they know not what they do. He says that as people are murdering him. He says, forgive them. And so we can learn from Jesus and we can learn um, as he changes our hearts, um, like we learned um, you know, at the beginning that our hearts connected to our words and when we get heated up, um, the words of our heart come out burning. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is in our heart? What's welling out um, in my words? Am I, am I seeking to use excuses for my words? Am I, um, is my heart full of selfishness and pride or maybe even deep hurts that are coming out in defensive or hurtful words? What is in my heart that might come out in my words? And so the last section that... Um, this passage talks about the last thing that the words of our heart have the power to do is to delight. Um, in verses 9 through 12, um, he compares the tongue to a spring and a tree. And so the spring is a symbol of water, which is a necessity to stay alive. Um, water is very life-giving, um, and it can be a delight to our souls. But when water is not controlled, it can also be very destructive. Proverbs 10:11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Similar to the analogy of a fire, water is very destructive when it's unleashed in large and unexpected amounts. And James contracts this when he says in verse 12 that neither can a salt pond yield fresh water, meaning that our words can either be fresh and life-giving and healing and not destructive, or they can be salty and bring death and destruction. And if we only drank salt water as humans, we wouldn't really be able to live either, right? Um, But fresh water is a delight to our bodies. It offers healing instead of destruction. And the last thing that he um, compares our tongue to um, in this passage is a tree. Um, And we might not really think about trees very often in our daily life, but trees are crucial to surviving. They are a main source of oxygen on our planet. Um, And similar to a tree, our words can helped to shelter and encourage and nourish a weary and hungry soul or person in our life. Um, it says in Proverbs 10:21, the lips of the righteous feed many. 
And one of the other most important aspects of a tree, um, as I was thinking about this, is, is its roots. Um, if the roots aren't deep enough, a tree cannot grow, it can't flourish, it can't produce fruit. Um, and when we fall into the ways of the world and our speech is untamed, we're, not, we're being rooted in the world instead of being rooted in the things of the Lord. And when we are rooted in the things of the Lord, our words will become the fruit of that fellowship with him. Jesus was able to tame his tongue in part because he communed with the Father. He was rooted in God. It says in Isaiah 54, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to, the, to hear as those who are taught. Basically saying when we commune with the Father, he will give us the wisdom to have tongues that will give life and heal those around and delight in him, and in this he'll change our heart. And so in this, in this final section of the passage, um, looking back at verses 9 through 10, James also kind of gives us a warning, just that our words are going to have an effect, that it's, it's not a maybe, but it, that it is a definite, that they will either be healing or they will either be cursing and destructive. Um, there's kind of an irony in the way that we speak, as it says in verse 9, the same mouth we use to profess gratitude and praises for God um, and his gifts we use to slander and judge the very people that he made in his likeness. Um, and I thought in these verses, like, how easy it is to kind of even do this in our own daily life. I thought about how, you know, I can come on a Sunday morning and praise God and worship him and then go home and end up um, getting in an argument with Austin, my husband, and have nothing nice to say to him um, in the same, you know, bit of like an hour. Um, and I liked how the commentator, um, again, Worsby put it, is that if the tongue is inconsistent, there is something radically wrong with the heart. And so we have to check our hearts in those kind of moments to see, like, am I asking God um, daily to change my heart and to help me to have a mouth that is life-giving and that's not destructive and that's not inconsistent? Um, and so tonight, um, we've just seen, yeah, how the words of our heart, um, they direct, they destroy, and they delight. And so I wanted to take it one step further um, to kind of say, what, what's a mark of a tamed tongue then in light of these powers? And so I feel like in, in how we um, kind of talked about each of these sections, what we see is that for direction, we can direct for good. For destruction, we can heal instead of destroy. And for delight, we can delight in the Lord instead of delighting in the ways of the world. And I want to leave you guys with this. Proverbs 16, 24, it says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And so I hope that as we leave this time and we talk in our small groups and we think about how this affects our lives, we can see how um, a transformed heart will lead us to transformed words. Um, yeah, that's all I have for us tonight. Um, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll, we'll head to small group. Heavenly Father, God, um, yeah, thank you, Lord, for what you have to speak to us on how we can come to you and ask for a changed heart, God, that when we, when we seek to delight in you, when we seek to um, heal and we seek to direct for good, that, um, yeah, you will bless our efforts, God, that um, you will be behind us, you will walk with us, and not only will it be a blessing to others, it will be a blessed blessing for us, God, that we find true joy and fulfillment in these things, God. And so I pray that as we go out from this place and we think about this and we pray and we ask um, for your guidance, Lord, that you will help us, God. Um, this is not something that 
you say we are to do in our own strength. Um, it is only through your strength that we can do any of this, God. And so I just, I pray that we will each be humbled, but that we will also be encouraged, God, that, that you um, are with us and you will um, give us the strength to, to tame our tongues, God. And so I pray just over this small group time that it will be um, fruitful. And Lord, I just ask that you bless each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.